Happy Sabbath! We are delighted that you are switching from winter into spring and as you come out of your hibernation caves, we are elated that we get to talk about God's faithfulness, God's rewards for righteousness. Although the title of the lesson may provide some theological complexity, I hope our conversation today serves to clarify some of the concepts and some of the way that uh, the relationship between us and God ought to work as we conclude this quarter on stewardship. Uh, Joey and I are revving and ready to go, but before we do, let's have a word of prayer. Jesus, thank you so much for being always faithful. Thank you so much for being always gracious in spite of our behaviors and our shortcomings. So we would pray, Lord, that you stay with us and that you continue to bless us as we converse today and as we draw this quarter to a close. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, as I promised before, my friendly and affable co-host and long-suffering partner is here with us. Uh, Joey, how was your week? It was good. Yeah. Um struggled with a little bit of a cold in our family, but we've overcome and now we're here. Oh, behold, he who overcomes. <laughs> um, it sounds like a, like a wonderful introduction to the book of Revelation, particularly in the missive to the seven churches. But before I get sidetracked, it's so good that you are feeling better. I know that we thought that maybe uh, you were out, you were going to be out for the count this week. So it is good to see you up and, um, and, you sound good, at least. Yeah. Well, I couldn't miss the end of this this journey that we've taken <laughs> together, managing for the master. So <laughs> definitely had to be here for that. That's probably the only time you're going to hear I couldn't miss the ending <laughs> of the conversation on managing for the master. So today we talk about this issue of rewards mm. for faithfulness. Um how do you how do you feel just initial initially some off the cuff remarks on how the whole framing of uh, not only this quarter but this particular week uh, was in our quarterly. Yeah, you know, there was a sentence in the in the beginning of the lesson. I think it was on Sabbath's lesson that said, uh, "Though we can never earn salvation, the Bible uses the hope of reward as a motivation for faithful living mm. as undeserving." recipients of God's grace for in the end whatever we receive always and only from God's grace so it's a long sentence first of all but it it is a little bit of a challenging sentence right and I understand why the author wrote it the way that he did because definitely uh, there is a framing of a reward to come for for God's people that language is present throughout scripture mm -hmm. but at the same time it makes you wonder how can how can there be a reward that motivates you to faithful living if 
the coming reward is based on the grace of God, mm-hmm. right? How can something that's not even based on how we live be a re- uh, be a motivation for how we live? Yeah, right. I think that's what I was trying to get at. Um, to be honest, I I did find. Not the content of the lesson challenging. Um, I think that there are many parts of it where I was just saying, yeah, that that actually tracks with the overall arc of Scripture. But I think some of the framing of it could have been clear. And I think it goes to this reality, whether it's in Adventism or any other faith tradition, where where the longest journey that we will ever have be called to make is the journey from our head to our heart. Mm. Uh, We say that what is to come for us, this reward, is a reward for righteousness, but it isn't our righteousness. Mm. It is Christ's righteousness imputed upon us, to use Mm. one of the great phrases of uh, the Protestant Reformation. And yet we say, well, as, as you stated in that wonderfully convoluted and complex sentence, Um, The Bible uses the promise of reward to encourage faithful living. And I think um, I I would have found it helpful maybe to separate uh, the types of rewards that we are talking about. Mm. Because maybe um, that would have been helpful. Not all rewards are uh, created the same. There are definitely some cause and effect relationships uh, that are based on my behavior um, or on my management of, in this case, finances, uh, or on my faithfulness with uh, the gifts that God has given me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if we're talking about rewards in that uh, in that context, and I think there are uh, there are certain places and spaces to talk about that in our journey of faith. If we're talking about reward um, in eschatological terms, then I I think we've maybe missed the mark a bit. Wow. So faithfulness does have its benefits. Following God's laws and obeying God does come with benefits beyond just um, that we are doing what God says, Mm -hmm. right? Like when we follow God's principles for healthy living, then it actually helps us to live healthier and have healthier lives for the most part, right? But you're saying that that is separate from the reward Mm. of salvation. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and I think that's because the benefits pale in comparison or or a drop in the bucket to what God offers us freely. Um, I was thinking about it as I was reading the lesson this week. Um, I have a savings account uh, with a bank here in, in town, and it gives me, I think, a 0.008% um, annual return. Mm. So it's a couple. I can't even buy a, a, a soda with it. Um, <laughs> so the reason why I keep money in that account isn't on the, isn't on the basis of the reward. It's simply because I've been a long-term uh, member of that mm. bank, et cetera, et cetera. Now, if uh, now on my uh, on my uh, on my retirement fund, the rewards are uh, a bit bigger, but most of those don't have really anything to do with what I do. It has to do with a lot of what our employer does in the conference and the market. So mm-hmm. most of that is outside of my uh, of my control. Mm-hmm. And so I think, th- and really, let's face it, my retirement, my my safety and security financially living isn't based on my retire on my savings account it's based on my retirement account mm-hmm. on which i really have very little uh inference upon mm-hmm. so 
I think there are rewards to faithfulness uh, and to faithful living, but even those rewards I don't think are enough to mm -hmm. motivate the type of transformation that uh, the lesson um, or that we as people of faith wish uh, people to experience. Yeah. If they were, then we would have a bunch of people who are, everybody would be healthy, everybody would be um, kind, everybody would be loving. But we find out, even though we know intellectually that there are benefits to living those ways, we don't always do those things. Right. right? And then, um, obviously, it, these are uh, best held practices. They don't, they're, they're not foolproof. Yeah. Um, even lives that are lived uh, in faithful, meaningful, giving, kind, uh, righteous ways sometimes have really tragic endings. And so I don't think that the promise of, of something that we can accomplish or receive here on earth is enough to, to create uh, or to promote the kind of living uh, that the gospel calls us to. It, that has to be based, I think, on something deeper hmm. um, than a mere search for reward. Wow. So then scripture does seem to have a connection between faith and faithfulness, mm -hmm. right? Um, I think it's A.W. Tozer that said um, faith and faithfulness are two sides of the same mm -hmm. coin. So if, if obedience and faithfulness do not come with the reward of salvation, how, what is the connection between faith and faithfulness? Yeah, I think it has to do, and we've talked about this. It seems like we come back uh, to this to this topic a lot, mm -hmm. don't we, Joey? Because I think when all is said and done, and um, when we've talked about stewardship, and we've talked about discipleship, and we've talked talked about mis ecclesiology, and we've talked about missions, we're always going to kind of gravitate towards the same basic reality that is the gospel. Mm -hmm. And that is that once you encounter Jesus, um, you can either choose to reject him, and many people did. Mm -hmm. You can choose to accept him, and many people did. But you cannot choose to ignore him. The, mm -hmm. the encounter with Christ is so powerful that mm -hmm. it does alter our perception of the world. Mm -hmm. And for those of us who have decided to accept uh, Jesus as our personal Savior, Jesus, as our Messiah, I think that is what initiates this uh, this long process of discipleship or formation or faithful living or faithfulness, however you want to call it, which is simply uh, the act by which we decide to cleave our lives to that of Christ and they start experiencing this journey of transformation into Christ-likeness. That is what faithfulness is. Mm. But faithfulness ultimately is a result of this encounter with, with Christ that is, I believe, uh, transformational every time. So at the heart of faithfulness is a faithfulness to a person or to a relationship with God rather than faithfulness to a certain ascribed list of mm -hmm. rules yeah and even before that that faithfulness to the relationship comes i think there's the faith that the the piece where faith i think is is necessary is there is this unwavering belief that god is who god says he is mm. 
um, that Jesus is who Jesus says he is, uh, that the message of the gospel is what it says uh, it is, and it is that faith, the, ch the decision to believe that God is indeed who God says he is, and that God has done what he has said he will do and accomplish. I think to believe in that is what engenders the transformation, mm -hmm. uh, what serves as kind of the brick and mortar for the relationship that then obviously engenders faithfulness, and then faithfulness leads to faithful living, and then faithful living sometimes often leads to uh, marked uh better results for life lived on this earth. And I think that's also definitely uh, a piece of the whole equation, but it's it's probably much lower on the list sometimes than we would like it to be. Yeah, so tr belief, true belief, does come with it a change in behavior, mm. you're saying. Like if I, if I really believe that my retirement fund is going to be sufficient to care for my needs mm. in the future uh, once I retire, that's going to change the way I be, I live or the way that I behave, if uh, compared to if I believe that it's not going to mm -hmm. be enough. If I believe that Social Security is mm -hmm. going to exist when I retire, it's going to make an impact on the way that I behave and I uh, in in the present. Mm -hmm. So that belief you're saying, that belief in that God is good, God is gracious, God is trustworthy, that God has provided for us, and then He's going to deliver us when He returns. All of those things will if we really believe them, have an impact in the way that we live. Yeah, and I think, Joey, that's the important part of behavior. Mm -hmm. We often, because we we have this either-or, zero-sum mentality when it comes to faith and faithfulness and religion and our relationship with God, we end up doing one or two things. We end up saying, well, I have to do. And so we become these... Mm -hmm. uh, performance artist of sanctification mm. or we say well what i do doesn't matter and so we live we live a life that is uh maybe not hedonistic but it it, it definitely is devoid of some of the close of connected realities that god has called us to live for um i don't know why it happens in our faith system because no other area of life in no other area of life do we operate like this in every other arena of life just think about it what you believe dictates your behavior and so behaviors are a really interesting and important set of mark concrete things that you can look at to examine your beliefs mm. that you can actually say well I say I believe in Social Security, to use your example, mm -hmm. but I've decided to opt out of it. Mm -hmm. So what does that behavior tell me about my belief? Mm -hmm. Rather than what I'm saying or what I'm proclaiming or what I'm uttering, what are, my behaviors are probably a really good indicator of the things that I hold to be these ultimate beliefs that frame my life. And so I think there's a huge part uh, that behaviors play in our, in our spiritual life uh, as indicators uh, that serve us to ask the question, well, what do we really believe? Mm -hmm. um, I think that's why Jesus talks about this notion of storing treasure in heaven, right? Um, if you believe that 
what ultimately matters is the kingdom of God, then Jesus is saying, well, let's look at where you've invested, mm -hmm. where you are putting these things that you value. That's behavioral, but it's behavioral uh, because it's, it's intended to ask us to start analyzing and questioning our beliefs. Wow. Yeah. Those behaviors are window into our mm. heart, into a window yeah. into our souls. Yeah. Like Jesus says, where your treasure is, there will your heart oh, be correct. also. So that, that mirror. But you also indicate that it's possible for us, I love how you phrased it, um, to be actors mm -hmm. of sanctification is I, I think that's that's how you said it. i i love that because yes there are times when we can pretend that uh, that a belief is true and act like it but it's not actually something that we truly believe right. either so that it works both ways it does. Yeah. yeah yeah so then for 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 people and this is something that came up quite a bit um during pastor randy's series at the very first sermon of his series he asked people to share the questions that they would like to ask mm -hmm. god and it was incredible how many of those questions dealt with the assurance of salvation mm -hmm. people wondering am i saved am i good enough have mm -hmm. i done enough so for those questions, if we're talking about the connection between faith and faithfulness and behavior and belief, um, on one side, we're saying this is, it, it's incredibly simple that if we believe, then we are saved. Mm -hmm. And yet it's also nuanced in saying, well, what we be, believe will impact our behavior. Mm -hmm. So for somebody in the space of wondering, well, do I really believe if my behavior hasn't perfectly aligned with my belief? And then does that mean that I'm not saved? Mm. How would we, how would you answer that and, and offer that person some kind of assurance yeah. that they're actually mm. saved? Yeah, that, you know, that was so helpful. And it's been so helpful over the past few weeks uh, to see and to get a window, to use your language into our congregation's soul. Yeah. Um, I think it's it's been heart-wrenching at times. It's been deeply moving at other times. Um, and it's just, I think, a constant reminder of how radical the radically different the gospel is mm -hmm. and how, because it is so different from everything else that we encounter, there's almost this inherent resistance that we have to accepting it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think several things play into that. Uh, one of those things is, let's face it, in our world, most of the time, you get what you earn. Mm -hmm. Now, even that statement needs to be said with pause because there is a lot of nuance in that. But we train our, our kids to work really hard if you want to get better at something. Mm -hmm a practice, if you want to earn more money, work harder, if you want to get better grades, study longer, mm. if you want to master an instrument, um, practice longer. And, and the old monks used to talk about this thing, that mm. the, the experience of contemplation and meditation and prayer and spiritual exercises was an art and that it required the same discipline that it requires to master any other art. Mm. So there's definitely a behavioral component there. But notice that they never said that uh, the mastery of the gospel was an art. Mm -hmm. And so that required discipline because the gospel is different. It's, dif 
It's different in that it is initiated by God. And so while our responses to what God has done definitely ought to be behavioral, I think we, we fail to realize that uh, the gospel or the move is always God towards us. Mm. And the invitation then is for us to respond to what God is already doing. Now, when you're talking about the assurance of salvation, I, I don't know uh, if you've been watching. It just ended this past week, uh, the World Baseball Classic. And it was really neat to see uh, Japan uh, winning. And uh, Japan has probably, at this moment, the best baseball player in the world, Shohei Otani, who plays for our local LA Angels. Now, Otani is uh, a unicorn. Because in baseball, you know this, Joey, either you pitch really well or you hit really well. Mm. You don't really do both. Yeah. Well, Tiny has this uncanny ability to throw a fastball at 100 miles an hour and to hit the ball out of the park. So he hits with power. He's, he's an amazing player. So Tiny is the best baseball player in the world. And yet... Otani's batting average, at least last year, hovered around 290. Wow. And so that's enough to, to, to make him the best baseball player in the world. There is no field, no field, and I love baseball because of it, there, because of this, this connection. There is no field in which anybody bats 100%. Mm whether it's baseball or any other enterprise. Yeah. And so I think sometimes we are really hard on ourselves mm. um, because we think that God, um, that God somehow requires, mm. uh, requires us to be not the best versions of ourselves, not the best versions of ourselves with the context and the circumstances that we have, mm. but the superhuman version of ourselves mm. that... Um, that bats a hundred. And I I wonder what would happen if we start envisioning God in the same way that we envision ourselves when we deal with brokenness. Mm. So Joey, if I were to come to you and say, hey, you know what, I've got this problem and um I I can't I can't break free from it. Mm. Let's say I, I come and I say, Joey, um I've been drinking a lot lately. And alcoholism, alcohol has completely, completely controlled my life. Mm. Probably, and I know you well enough, so I shouldn't say probably. Most definitely, you wouldn't say you're bad. Mm. What are you doing? You've messed up. You should know better. You're a pastor. We're not going to, we, I want nothing to do with you. Mm. Joey O probably would say, man, that's terrible. Thank you for being honest. Let's try to find a way to fix it. Mm. And I find that, that would, that's most of our reaction to encountering other people's brokenness. Mm. And so if, if we react towards brokenness with grace, why is it that it's so hard for us to fathom wow. that God would do the same? Yeah, that if we come to God with that kind of openness and honesty mm. with our confession, that he wouldn't also yeah. respond that way or even more so right. that's as jesus frames it right um that is so powerful yeah that's the reality that we live in that our world in our world um, performance is everything mm -hmm. how we do how we perform what we earn we get what we earn and yet the reality of our world is that most of us fail more than we succeed mm -hmm. 
right? As you showed by the, the example of the of the uh, of the baseball of, of the batting batting averages, right? Um, we fail a lot more than we succeed, and so that's the dichotomy that we live in, which is why I love how Philip Yancey puts it that grace is the last best word. Mm-hmm. You know, in his book, what's so amazing about grace? He says grace is the last best word. Love has sort of lost its meaning because we say that you know we love pizza, and then we say I love right. you to a person, right. and it's sort of been diluted of its meaning. But grace still contains that power because grace. Is something that all of us long for because we live in that reality of a performance-based world, and yet most of us are failing at life. And none of us measures up. Yeah. So I realize that we can spend another two hours here talking about the intricacies and yet the simplicity of grace. Mm. Um, the truth of the matter is, what was most eye-opening, I think, about these. Uh, these texts that you're mentioning as part of Randy's sermons was that uh, these are things that I struggle with myself. Mm -hmm. I mean, you struggle with yourself, and we were talking about this a bit this week. Um, If I'm honest with myself, I have some of those same questions, Mm -hmm. and there's moments in my life where where I have doubt, where I do experience fear, where I am unsure, uh, where I am driven driven to perform. And so we, I think, there's nothing that we are going to say intellectually that is going to make it make sense. Um, so I'm wondering, uh, and I've been, since since our conversation this week, I've been thinking, well, if, if we can speak about grace until we're blue in the face and this this desire, this inherent drive to perform is going to sneak in anyway. Mm. What do we do? How do we orient our lives? What what sort of disciplines should we practice in order to kind of remind us, remind ourselves and train ourselves that indeed, as you said, grace is the best word, because there are going to be moments where this desire to for- perform is going to get the best of us. Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, because even someone like Mother Teresa, who we would think, if anyone out there um, was obeying God's will and following God's um, God's will for her life, it would be Mother Teresa. And yet, towards the end of her life, she also mm-hmm. struggled with doubts. So, um, I, I do think that certain, certain God has given us certain practices. Mm-hmm. I, I love how you phrase that: practices, some certain rhythms of life. Um, one of them we've talked about a lot, which is community, mm-hmm. because a lot of times when we can't see things with perspective, our communities mm-hmm. can. So having those relationships, people that we trust enough to share our doubts with, who can speak into our lives, I think is a powerful practice, mm-hmm. that practice of building that kind of community with each other. Leaning into the promises of God, like mm-hmm. actually taking time to absorb him in, because there, there are promises that we have known since childhood and yet when we read them again there is a power of Mm. of that reminding us in the moment when we're struggling with our faith to read that god loves us and that he forgives us that he he casts out our sin that he makes us white as snow all of these promises when we when we read them again they have this power to remind us of how much god cares about us um one thing that i like to do is just sort of review my day with Mm. god at the end of the day to to remind myself of God's presence mm. with me throughout the day 
and 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 the ways that he provided for me and those remind me that god is not some abstract concept or a judge who is just mm. looking down on me and judging me for all my behavior but he is an active participant in my mm. life so those are some practices that i lean into how about you you know what i love about what you just said before i kind of jump in um is that these practices that you're mentioning are practices that the church has uh, performed for thousands of years right yeah. you talked about this idea of being in community and having people speak into our doubt uh, the early church called that confession mm -hmm. that was the whole point of confession right mm -hmm. we confess corporately mm -hmm. because um, it is us showing our community this community that we trust the worst of ourselves and having that community remind us that we are better than our worst images of ourselves because god because we have this idea of uh the imago dei the image of god dwelling in us so uh there's confession then uh you talked a little bit about leaning into the promises of scripture and studying scripture and we're in it i wanted to do something with revelation 20 uh, that speaks a little to that so i'll hold off on that and then and then you talked about taking account at the end of your day mm -hmm. right just reminding yourself that god is a person and uh one of the one of the first th pieces of writing that we had uh outside of you know the theological treatises whether those be gospels or epistles was journals mm -hmm. uh this practice of journaling was has been kind of uh, one of the backbones of christendom because it is in this in this moment of reflecting on your day and where you found uh as uh, as augustine calls us where do you find god's presence where do you feel god's absence where is your consolation and desolation mm -hmm. And you're reminding yourself that you actually have a relationship with a person, not a construct. Um, so those, I think, are all key, 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 key practices. Um, I want to linger uh, on, on the one that you talked about with Scripture, because we are a people of the book. Mm -hmm. We are a people that try to take Scripture seriously. And I wanted to do it. You know, the lesson talks about Revelation 20, mm -hmm. um, which I is one of the pieces in Scripture uh, that that I just I it just moves me every time I read it. Uh, so Christians for 2000 years had have had this practice called Lectio. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it kind of stems from this this idea that we read Scripture and then we listen to the spirit. Um, and so there's. There's there's three things that you do when you do, when you do a passage uh, with lectio. First, uh, you read the passage through and you listen for a word, uh, something that a word that just sticks out, uh, and so you you kind of allow your ears to be present in the passage, and then and then you have uh, you have this word pop up. Then the next thing you do is once you have this word. Uh, the, the the second stage is you you read through the passage again, and you you want to prod and see where the spirit is moving, mm -hmm. and so you ask a question of the text, some some a place in which your mind is going, mm -hmm. uh, driven and directed by the spirit mm -hmm. to ask this question, and then the third thing that you do is out of the passage, 
right? We believe that Scripture is the Word of God, and so um, it's a conversation with God. And if we take Scripture seriously, then Scripture ought to guide our prayers. And so um, a prayer emerges. Mm -hmm. So in the last couple of minutes that we have here, I, I kind of wanted to, to engage in this practice just so that we could see kind of not the eschatological rewards for faithfulness that we can have, mm -hmm. uh, but the, the here and now rewards that we can have. I've, I've found that um, this, this way of reading scripture has proved foundational uh, for the early church. It proved foundational for the reformers. Uh, it proved foundational for uh, the Wesleyan uh, movement from which Adventism comes. So there's a long, long tradition of mining the text to get some to get to hear a new word of God. Mm. So Joey, um, what we're going to do is we're going to pray, and then I will read through. We're going to focus on verses 11 through 15, mm. and I'll read through, and I just um, will have you listen, and you'll share a word that kind of sticks out. Um, and then you'll read through and I'll kind of share a question and then we'll both read it and we'll both kind of utter a prayer. And we'll, we hope that um, you can do this, not just with this passage, but with any other passage in Scripture. And it's fascinating kind of the things that that get unlocked um, as you're just thinking about Scripture in deep and meaningful ways. Yeah. Sounds like a plan? Sounds like a plan. All right. Well, let's pray. God, we're, we're opening your word. And as we do, we simply pray. Uh, that we may reap a reward, not because of our faithfulness, not because of who we are, but because you are ever-present, ever-wishing to provide us with new insights. Adventism has always believed that the truth is present, but it also progresses. And so we give Scripture to you now, hoping that you will speak to us. Thank you for listening. Amen. Amen. Okay. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heaven fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were open. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and everybody was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. All whose names were not found written in the book of life were thrown into the lake of fire. So, Joey, what is what is a word kind of or, or something that, that jumps out to you from, from the passage we just read? Um, the word that really sticks out to me is the word throne in mm. this passage. Um, it's echoed twice in, mm. in here and also it's connected to the word of judgment mm -hmm. here, right? that God has the power and the authority to judge and to execute judgment to the point where even though it says that everyone was judged according to what they had done, 
um, ultimately the result of that is that death and Hades, so death and hell are thrown into the lake of fire. They are destroyed. That That is the ultimate judgment mm. that God does in favor of his people. So that, that, that the ability of God to make that call, that he has the power and authority to do that because he sits on the throne, that's what sort of stuck out to me. What a word. What a word. I. That's so moving. Because what, what Joey just did, friends, is he pointed out that in the end, God, God doesn't throw anyone into the lake of fire. Mm. What is thrown into the lake is death and Hades. Mm. And I think that that word thrown um, that you that you heard and that kind of speaks to you, I think speaks to the kind of God that we serve and why really there should be certainty and security and safety and confidence as you as you face uh, the end mm -hmm. because God ultimately is the only one that judges and when he judges what is what is condemned are these symbols of separation and destruction and death mm -hmm. so that's that's powerful we hope that you heard a word I I definitely did uh, so Joey's now going to read it again and I'm just going to try to listen for a question that kind that springs up then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them and everyone was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. All whose names were not found written in the book of life were thrown into the lake of fire. As you were reading something that I, and I've, we've read this passage many times and I'd never kind of realized was uh, at the beginning of verse 11, the earth and the heavens fled from the presence mm. of God. Mm. What does it look like for reality itself to flee from the presence of God? Yeah. That that question just, and I, I'd never seen it before, but it's not just death and Hades, it's the earth and the heavens. And what seems to be happening here in Revelation 20, verse 11 through 15 is... Well, the f first the question is, what, is that, what does that look like for just everything to be open and for mm -hmm. the presence of God to engulf all of reality? Yeah. That, um, that's a new type of, of experience that I, I, oh, I can't wait to, to be a part of. Yeah. That, you know, as I was reading, that, that also popped into my head. I'm like, earth and heaven, what does that mean, mm. that earth and heaven... And almost what what popped up in my head is like everything is reset. It's mm -hmm. almost like a whole um, universal reset, mm -hmm. and then you just have just again. It's just my imagination, but there is this poetic element to Revelation. But there is the it's just silence. Mm -hmm. But what fills that space is the glory of mm -hmm. God, 
and that encompasses like you said encompasses everything so what does what does that mean what does that look like why does that happen like what's happening here with yeah. with earth and heaven fleeing see this is something that i find often when we do this like when we when we just read scripture together mm -hmm. in this way and that is that often you know i do it with with friends a lot and we often kind of land on the same thing just like we did today yeah and we hadn't talked about this, beef, by the way, for those of you who think, well, they practiced this before. Um, we hadn't talked about this before, but kind of you are drawn to, to the same thing. And I think we're drawn to that same thing, Joey, because we started our time talking about this idea of reward for our faithfulness. Mm -hmm. uh, that's kind of the whole premise of, of the lesson study. And I think in the end, the only thing I want, I don't want a reward. I just want to be engulfed by the presence of God. Mm -hmm. I just want to experience existence in the presence of God in this way and in this manner where God fills everything, where there is this amazing reset. And it's not just death and Hades that are thrown into the lake. Mm -hmm. It's the very heaven and the earth that we know so well that has seen us cry, the heavens that have he heard our pleas and our petitions, those disappear. And now all that you can see is God. Mm -hmm. That's all there is out there to experience. And I, I, that's all I want. I, mm -hmm. want. I want life and I want our friends who are viewing to realize that there is this promise in revelation that goes beyond our wildest dreams and that is you get to experience reality as it as it is meant to be and reality is mm. in the bosom of the all-encompassing presence of god wow yeah there is definitely this theme in, Re in the book of revelation of what you see is what we see on this earth is not really the complete picture of what's happening, mm -hmm. right? There's times when we get, go from one side of the scene to the other side of the scene where it looks like for the majority of the conflict in Revelation, it seems like Satan has the upper hand, the dragon is dominant here on earth, all of these things. And yet when we get these peaks and glimpses, we re realize that ultimately this the lamb mm. that is slain has won and we're mm. going to be talking about that in the in the yeah, next, next, next uh, week. yeah the next quarter of lessons but but what's so powerful about that is here finally it seems like all of that dross all of that extra stuff all of the things that we thought was reality sort of is pushed aside Ooh. and we get to see the true reality which is god god is the true reality which is why in, in Revelation, it seems clear that the ultimate reward, if we want to talk about reward, if we want to talk about heaven, heaven is primarily about a person mm -hmm. and not a place. You know, we sometimes, we get overwhelmed with the pictures of, of the place of heaven. Everybody wants to know what does heaven look like? What does it mean to have streets of gold? All of these things. And yeah, that's a part of heaven. But really what makes heaven heaven is God, the presence mm -hmm. of God, and the fact that we're going to finally, all of the barriers are going to be removed, and we'll get to be in that that communion, that unified communion with God that we lost when sin first yeah. entered this world. Yeah, that's that's what we hope for, and I think that ultimately is is something that is experienced in its fullness in heaven, 
but we are called to experience today. Mm-hmm. Um, these moments of unmitigated joy where you just surrender to the presence of God. Um, we be- Jesus talks about this, right? Abide in me and I will in you. Um, and, and this idea, I will not leave you orphan. I will send a comforter. This idea that the presence of God is all around us. Mm-hmm. It is in us. Um, and we, may, we, we just have to stop. And we just have to recognize that instead of our deep desire to perform, maybe what we ought to lean into is the recognition that the Spirit of God is in this place. And because of that, there is solemnity, there is holiness, but above all, there's deep, deep, unmitigated joy. Yeah. And that does seem like it would lend, if we could focus on that more and more, it would lend for us to have more assurance Mm -hmm. of the salvation because the God that's pictured here in Revelation is just so Mm all-encompassing. He has the power to do anything. And what's clear through the message of Revelation is that he is on our side. Mm -hmm. So if God is on our side... And like you say, we're willing to bring our brokenness to him. What could possibly, in the words of Paul, what could possibly keep us from the love of God? This, this, is, this is the beauty, I think, of Scripture. Um, and this is, I think, what, what we're both saying, that in these moments where you feel the drive to perform, there's maybe two things that you can do. You can remind yourself, as Paul does, that his grace is sufficient. And then you stop and you open scripture and you mine it in this way, just asking, where is that? there a word that is quickening in my heart, that the Spirit is having quicken in my heart? Mm. And where where is this question that the text is drawing me to? And finally, uh, what are what is the prayer that uh, that comes forth as a response to that which I should which I just read? So that's the third step in uh, in reading scripture in this way. And so, Joey, let's do it together. Um, I think we have the same. Pretty sure we have the same version. Um, and then uh, I'll I'll kind of share a prayer, and then you'll share a prayer, and then that'll be that. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's let's start with verse eleven. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And everyone was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. All whose names were not found written in the book of life were thrown 
into into the the lake lake of of fire. God, please help me and those like me who cannot resist the temptation to write other people's names out of the book of life. Mm. Please give me the faith, the humility to recognize that judgment is yours. Intercession is yours. My job is compassion. Mm -hmm. Help me to be more compassionate. Help us to be more compassionate. Amen. God, you truly are an awesome God. I mean, the picture that it, that John writes here of who you are, of your overwhelming power and authority is so inspiring. So in moments of doubt, in moments when I'm overwhelmed by what's happening here on earth, when I'm overwhelmed with questions about whether you have the ability to stand in for us and to stand up for us, whether you can forgive someone as broken as I am, help me, help to remind me that you are this God whose glory fills the universe Mm. and that you sit on a throne with the authority to even cast Hades and Mm. death into the the lake of fire and destroy it forever. Give me that conviction and that absolute confidence in your ability to save is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, there is nothing more to say. So sit back and enjoy the sweet, sweet presence of that all-encompassing God. Mm -hmm.